I have a quote from a great movie that I want you to guess. Okay. Here it goes. The machine becomes weightless. Ford vs. Ferrari. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Let me finish. <laughs> okay. The machine becomes weightless. It just disappears. And all that's left is a body moving through space and time. 7,000 RPM. That's where you meet it. It asks you a question. The only question that matters. Who are you? I thought we were talking about aerodynamics today. <laughs> that is about aerodynamics. I thought that was a great quote for this episode. Moving through space and time. Mm-hmm. You know, you know space is a vacuum. Don't you like There's that no, movie? You like Ford I Ford? love that movie. It's a great movie. I actually really love that quote as well. I think it I really yeah. beautifully encapsulates what it feels like. And right. The almost spiritual side of driving driving a car have, fast. Have you got to 7,000 RPM? <laughs> <laughs> I live well, beyond 7,000 RPM. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I don't much. even know what, how fast that is. different quote though i mean speaking of movies there is another movie that's due out around about now it's got adam driver Can I just say there's so many like racing formula one movies right and it's all the yeah. trend yeah yeah I love motorsport it. movies yeah yeah but yeah adam driver oh love him good name good name for good name, a, a yeah. racing movie um his, name? <laughs> yes. yeah i wonder yeah uh he's doing a movie on uh or like a biopic on the great enzo ferrari the Love person him. who invented Ferrari and every card should be red. Yeah, <laughs> is that meant to be an Italian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, it came out more Indian, but oh, you know, Indiano, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and about Ferrari, it's yeah, called Ferrari, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and Our Enzo, in cinemas now. Yeah, there you go. You're welcome. Um, Enzo Ferrari had a very famous quote where he said that. Aerodynamics are for people who can't build engines. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But okay, but these days I watch a lot of Formula One, and mm. all I hear about is aerodynamics. Yeah. So what's up with that? You know, I think there's like a few elements of a race car or a Formula One car that really that really dictate its performance. And the tires, the tires, yeah, yep. definitely one. But as we as we spoke about recently, they've all got the same tires, right? They all have the same tires. Neutralized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the engine, of course, that's the thing that. Yeah, that's a big part, right? And you've it got is, some yeah. the major manufacturers like Mercedes, yep. Ferrari, yep. Honda. But I think these days, and we'll get to this later, but a lot of the engines they're more or less very similar in performance um, when it comes to the lap time they deliver, anyway. And then there's the aerodynamics, and I think that's where we see a lot of disparity between the cars. But it's such a key part of how they make their lap time. And if you've ever seen a Formula One car in real life, which I have, I have. We, exactly, we've been lucky <laughs> enough to, and I'm thinking about the Turn 9, 10 com- complex at Albert Park, or we were lucky enough to see Formula One cars go through Maggots, Beckett's and Chapel at Silverstone this year. Iconic. Yes. Incredible. Check and out our Insta account for some of those videos. <laughs> you should use more followers. <laughs> um, but one of the things that stand out when you see these cars like changing direction, it looks like you're looking at, it feels like you're looking at a UFO or something. They carry so much speed through the mm. corners. Yeah. They break so late into the corners. They accelerate so early. Um, and all of that really, that uh, a lot of it is really from aerodynamics. I have one question. Shoot. 
What is aerodynamics? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> fair enough, it's, a it's not very clear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if you ask me, the definition Actually, of it. Hang on, hang on. I'm googling right now before you go on a three-hour rant. Yeah, all right. I'll just go f- myself then. <laughs> all right, all right. So here is the Google definition. I trust mm-hmm. Google. Mm-hmm. Aerodynamics is the way objects move through air. The rules of aerodynamics explain how an airplane is able to fly. Anything that moves through air is affected by aerodynamics, from a rocket blasting off to a kite flying. Since they're surrounded by air, even cars are affected by aerodynamics. Okay, that's <laughs> a good definition. That. Yeah, there you go. So, we can just wrap this episode up right now. <laughs> that was the only question I had, basically. Mm, mm. <laughs> well, Done. Learnt. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you did say it's how the cars really make their lap time today. But how? I still don't get how. Well, it comes down to uh, the the D and the D. You know, I love double Ds. And <laughs> I was thinking more Dungeons and Dragons. So what is this D and D? D and D, downforce and drag is what it's downforce all about. Okay. Um, so really, the main thing for me in terms of aerodynamics on a race car, particularly a Formula One car, is downforce. Right. So. Your definition... Downward force. Downward force. Your definition mentioned... Just air, basically. <laughs> no, you talked about airplanes, right? And yes. how Yeah, so airplane wings use aerodynamics to lift those massive things up into the sky, right? Hang on, hang on. Is that called up force? It's not. Oh, <laughs> it's called lift. Things don't make no sense. <laughs> well, this will make a little bit of sense for you, I guess. In race cars, what we use is negative lift. Right. Yeah, okay, okay. But so you've got lift and negative cooler. lift. Okay. Yeah. Um, so instead of trying to lift the car up into the sky like we do with a plane, aerodynamics on Formula One cars are all about creating negative lift or downforce. It's all about pushing the car into the ground so that the tires get pushed onto the road surface. That's how you can go fast around corners when you've got more grip. That's right. And even on the straight, you want... Well, that's where it kind of gets a bit interesting. That's where drag comes into right. it. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I guess we we'll talk about... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sense. We could talk about this a bit more in detail yeah. soon, but... Uh, Often what happens is when you put things on the car to create downforce, they also create drag. Um, Mm. And drag is what I guess a lot of people know as air resistance. It's that, you know, if you've ever put your hand out the window of the car when it's driving along, you feel it, you know, getting caught in the air or how a parachute works. And we've talked about DRS before, drag resistance system. (laughs) (laughs) Did I get that wrong? You did. Drag resistance. I mean, I've been watching a lot of cricket today, so. uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, decision review system. (laughs) Yes, yeah. so drag reduction system that's right that's right and so yeah. drag is actually a bad thing unlike downforce mm, um okay. unfortunately bringing downforce often means bringing drag so it's all about how do we maximize dra- downforce and minimize drag which um it slows the car down when it's going down the straights i mean i can think of one way to just push the car down just add a lot of weight yeah exactly <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good point uh, yeah. you know having weight on the car to push those tires onto the road surface yes. to offer that grip is fantastic. The only problem is one of Newton's laws, you know, F, oh, yeah. F equals MA, force equals mass times acceleration. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you increase that mass, yes. it means you need more force to accelerate that right. mass, right? Right, you're slowing the car down just with exactly. all that Exactly, you've got to lug all this weight around and then right. you've got to try and lug it around corners and stuff. That's the beauty of aerodynamics is you get the benefit of all this weight pushing the car down, but you don't actually have to carry that weight around on the car. I'm trying to think how this is going to work. So, so, okay, if a car isn't moving, I see no way this mm. is possible. Mm. But once you start having a moving car, you've got power, you've got speed, you've got air coming through. You start channeling the air to the right places to try yes. and build up 
forces maybe? Mm-hmm. Is that is that sort of on the right You're track? You're on the right track. Yeah, good okay. job. All right. Um, I mean, you mentioned airplanes before, right? Um, and if we think about an airplane wing, the way that works is it has like a bit of a geometry about it that um, it sends some air goes over the top of it, some air goes below the wing. And what happens I feel is... That. I feel that in my seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens is the air that goes above it, the geometry actually makes it accelerate. It increases the velocity of that air. Oh, but- and Bernoulli's principle dictates that... All right, Oppenheim. <laughs> <laughs> the the faster a fluid is is moving, the lower its pressure. So fluid. Yes, and uh, well, we're, I'm calling it a fluid. Yeah. And air is not really a fluid, but we kind of just assume it to be for, right, the, right, okay. for these purposes. Yep. Um, and so the air going over the wing is going faster than the air below it, and that means its pressure is lower. So the air above the wing is lower than the in pressure than the air below it, uh, and we also know that. High-pressure air and high-pressure fluids are attracted to low-pressure air oh, and fluids. Opposites attract in physics. That's yeah. it. That's it. Because they're trying to reach like an equilibrium where they like have like a middle right, equilibrium right. pressure. Okay. Um, and so what happens is that high-pressure air under the aeroplane wing is trying to reach the low-pressure air above it. And in doing so, it pushes upwards on the wing and lifts the whole aeroplane up into the sky. Okay. And so, so Formula 1 cars are the same thing except the opposite, flipped upside down. So we try and create a high pressure on top of the aerodynamic parts and a lower pressure below them. And again, we've got that high pressure trying to reach the low pressure below it, pushing the car down into the ground. So that's what the wings do. Um, Then we also mentioned the floor and the diffuser. So we have multiple aerodynamic parts. We've got the wings are the ones that probably I'd get talked about the most. Yeah, they're the the most visible, I guess. Yeah, you see them on the cars. And they're the coolest. I mean, they look pretty cool. I mean, it depends on what you mean by cool. (laughs) I'm a big diffuser fan myself. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah, you're always diffusing that tension, aren't you? Yeah, 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 I love that. Um, And the thing about the floors and the diffusers, we don't see them as much. They're below, they're underneath the car. Yes, they're more secret. Yeah, but they they create a lot of the car's downforce. I think these days we're talking about like 60, 65% of the car's downforce is created by these parts that we can't even see. I mean, we did see some of them this year. <laughs> Wasn't it funny when some of the cars got like towed with it the was... thing and just lifted up in the air like so many meters above? Like yeah. just imagine being in a Monaco just... apartment just seeing like an F1 car <laughs> swing by. But I remember everyone was like, oh my God, look at the grooves and look yeah. at the shape and yeah. look at all of this of the floor. And it I'm was... like, Damn, I didn't know the floor was so important. Very important. It was it was hilarious for everyone except the engineers responsible <laughs> yes. for designing them because their secrets were being they, shown out to the whole world. They were not happy. Mm. They were not happy. Yeah, because what those things do beneath the car is they create low pressure regions beneath the entire car. So there's like a vacuum under the car right. and you've got the higher, relatively higher pressure regions above the car, all of it pushing down on the car. So that's where it, it creates so much downforce. That's why they're so important to the to Formula One cars. So are we saying this is some sort of like ground effect? Like grounding? <laughs> I mean, without getting too into the detail about it, we found that often aerodynamic devices become more effective when they're close to the ground. Ground effect was first brought into Formula One in the late 70s, actually. What? Um, yeah, yeah. Before I was born. Yeah, <laughs> it was before you were born. Um, and essentially it's referring to how we use these geometries on the floors of the car, underneath the cars, um, to create areas of low pressure, right? Right. Um, we have these, like, often there's like tunnels and turning veins that direct the air in such a way that, as we said, it accelerates the air and creates low pressure regions under the car. That It's amazing that you can, like, have the drag and the downforce at the same time. 
like so you're accelerating fast getting through like weightless but then no. you're also like stuck as close to the ground as possible yes but like, like that's crazy the drag is a bad thing remember that drag is this yeah is i meant this. sorry like you can have less drag and be able to like Yes, that is a benefit of ground effect. It, it is a generally a bit more of an efficient way of creating downforce. Um, but in the 70s, what happened was the cars were quite unpredictable um, because they used these sort of skirts around the edge of the car to try and seal that area underneath the car and create like a vacuum. Uh, but what would happen is if the driver would like drive over a curb or a bump, that seal would kind of break, right? Because the skirt would be lifted up off the, the floor. Did you just say a skirt would be lifted off? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> this isn't Marilyn Monroe. We're talking about cars. Yeah, we'll call it a Marilyn Monroe yeah, effect. Yeah. Um, and then when that happens, suddenly the downforce disappears from under the car. So the driver suddenly has no grip and they'd spin out. Um, right, right. And also the cars were just becoming so fast. And often we change rules in Formula One to try and keep the cars from getting too fast, um, just to keep them safe. Um, so that's why Ground Effect was banned back in the early 80s, I think it was. Banned. That's right. Um, and then Controversial. <laughs> uh, and then in 2022, we decided to go back to ground effect. It was in a more controlled way. So you'll see the cars don't have those skirts to seal the underfloors or anything like that. Um, but the reason we did that is that um, the theory was that it would create less turbulence behind the car than the use of wings and things like that. Right. Um, and that would allow the cars to follow each other more closely. And that would give us more exciting. Oh, I racing. remember that regulation and it's all about following more closely and racing better that's right but then there was this huge porpoising porpoising yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that was an interesting thing because so many of the engineers in formula one yeah had never worked with ground effect before because they all got into the business after right. ground effect was banned that makes sense now okay. yeah no wonder this was such a huge deal for, for the regulations yeah it was a big change in the philosophy of how they were right. generating downforce and okay. um, there were only a very few engineers in the paddock who had experience with it famously adrian Newey was one of those people he did his like phd or something with ground effect how to um, build a car exactly so he he predicted this porpoising thing that it would happen and he devised ways to avoid it, it. yeah yeah, Whereas, yeah that was the big thing that came out yeah 2022 that's yeah. it well when those 2022 cars first hit the track we were all quite shocked um, to yes. see all these all these heads <laughs> oh. bouncing as the cars i know that was i oh that was such a horrible moment for most teams it was except red bull except red bull that's right so how did the teams actually go about figuring out how to work with aerodynamics are they sitting there with their blackboard and their chalk and just <laughs> writing a bunch of Bernoulli equations, pressure <laughs> differentials, like getting all Oppenheimer and stuff. Because theory can only get you so far. Yeah, look, that's how it started, I'm sure, okay. back in the day. Um, yes, it had to be, right? Yeah, and Adrian Newey, we just mentioned him, he famously loves to design his cars by hand. Like he sits down on a sketch drawing board thing and he draws them by hand to start off with. Um, but the way the teams really develop their cars from an aerodynamic perspective. Yeah. Um, these days, it's just, it's all based on computers, right? They have very advanced computers that they use to, you know, essentially they, they'll come up with ideas for aerodynamic devices and then design them on a computer. And then right. they use this thing called CFD, computational fluid dynamics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My face is <laughs> Um, which is, uh, it's a branch of finite element analysis, which, uh, I'm a oh, big fan of. Oh, did someone, did someone do a, um, thesis on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 someone, yeah, someone you You can it read down. it. Uh, we'll send out a copy <laughs> to anyone who wants it. Read um, it. but essentially what it does is it can, they can use it to model airflows, right? And so right. they'll model their, their car parts, their wings and things like that. 
and model airflow over it and see, oh yeah, it is generating low pressure regions where we want to generate low, low pressure regions. But then what they've got to do is really validate those tests. Yes. Um, and that's where the wind Experiments. tunnel. Yes. yes, the wind tunnel comes in, right? Um, yes, we've talked about wind tunnels before, right? Have we? I remember when you and I first spoke about wind tunnels, you didn't know what a wind tunnel was. <laughs> they just kept which... talking about wind tunnel time for teams and I'm like, what is this? This is some uh, <laughs> some like tunnel they go through <laughs> that's really windy or something. This was, really, this was hilarious to me, not because I was laughing at you, but okay. it made me yeah. realize that, you know, having grown up around motorsport and car racing, like a wind tunnel to me is as much a part of life as a, an oven is for you, right? It's just a thing that I know, right, um, right. except I've never owned a wind tunnel. In my <laughs> There's not many around the world, um, but essentially they're these big rooms um, shaped like tunnels often. And on one end of them, there's this big fan or multiple fans um, and they blow air through the room. And do they actually put the actual car there? They make models of the car. Ah, right. Uh, and maybe they do actually have full-sized ones. I know a lot of teams, uh, as I was growing up and stuff, you'd always hear they had they had half-size wind tunnels. So they would make models of the car parts in half scale. Right, um, right. And then okay. they put it in that room and then they blow air through the room. And then they use little like smoke things. They like induce smoke into the airflow so they can visually see the what? air flowing over the car oh, and yeah, what it's yeah. doing. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And then they've got various sensors and now that nowadays they've probably got all these fancy cameras and stuff to, you know, really analyze that airflow. So wind tunnel is really, really important in terms of car development. Right. Um, you know, it's okay. one thing to do something in a computer, but you really validate it um, in the wind tunnel. Uh, and then again, when it really matters is, you know, how it works on the racetrack. And that, the porpoising was an interesting example where they didn't pick it up through CFD. They didn't pick it up on um in the wind tunnel the model didn't show yeah, it yeah. and it was only when the cars hit the racetrack they were like oh my goodness so red bull they're just dominating everything now the mm-hmm. other teams are slowly catching up i feel but it's pretty insane like they've just cracked cracked this era yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh what is it about the red bull car though it's like we've heard about a bit about the floor how hmm. well they respond to like drs um you know i think when you look at their floor, certainly like towards the start of the 2023 season even, and particularly in the 2022 season, um, you could see that their floor seemed to be much more developed than some of the other cars. Yeah, very so many complex, fine grooves and details. Yeah, very intricate and beautifully shaped thing. Yeah. Um, so it got a lot of attention and I'm sure it's a big part of it. But the thing about Formula One car aerodynamics is it's not like you, you shouldn't be looking at all the different parts in isolation. They right. all work together. They all interact so much. They're all one live system, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So one team can't just copy the floor and yeah. make that work for them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You can't just like, yeah, when they saw the Red Bull floor in Monaco or whatever, when the car got lifted up, they couldn't just go, all right, bang, take a photo photo of it. Let's go make the same thing because... But the- it helps put a... It- put some of the pieces together right oh, in absolutely. terms of the whole concept that they figured out exactly yeah. exactly yeah and and that's the thing though right so the floor works that way but for the floor to work that way the front wing needs to work in a certain way the diffuser right. needs to work in a certain way and then the diffuser works with the rear wing in a certain way that it all joins together you've mentioned diffuser mm. what is that because i went oh. i'm thinking of some kitchen tool what <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like a kitchen tool the diffuser is uh like this sort of ramp shaped thing at the back of the car okay um it's sort of like it's beneath the car um between the rear wheels almost and it sort of 
comes out towards the right. what would be the rear bumper. And it diffuses <laughs> the it, pressure. It the accelerates air. air from outside yes. from under the car. That makes um, sense. The right, name so, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so the air that's coming under the car, it's in like a relatively kind of closed off space under the floor and the diffuser expands, right? So it's got the shape of it is like a funnel kind of thing, an right. outward facing funnel. And the air expands into that volume, which accelerates it. Um, right. And then that's how it sort of evacuates the, the region under the car and Man, creates that low pressure region. So much going on. Yeah, a very, very important <laughs> it's part. It's like every like corner of the car is just something going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, if you really want a, a visual representation of how diffusers work, it's when you see a Formula One car driving in the rain and you see those big rooster tails of water out the back of them. Yes. That's yes. the diffuser just chucking right. out air. So oh, okay. yeah. even when the car's driving in dry weather, you can't see it because there's no water, but that's what the air's doing. It's getting... It's right. getting ramped out from under the car. Oh, I, I can see it. I can see the air <laughs> moving, through, moving through space and time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot lot of things going on aerodynamically in mm. an F1 car and Red Bull's figured it all out. How long do you think it's going to take the other teams to really catch up? Oh, how long's a piece of string? Like they're, <laughs> they're so, well, cause it's such a, like I said, it's such a complex thing. It's going to yeah. take them. I think it'll take them a while, but... This is something we see whenever we have a rule change in Formula One. And that's something that we do every now and then. You mentioned the word eras before because you're a Taylor Swift fan, I know. Yeah. And we, we do go through Got eras. Got tickets to the concert. Yay. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Uh, we do go through these eras in Formula One where we change the rules. Um, and and I guess it's just like the, the eras are marked by those rules in a way. Uh, and in 2022, we moved to the ground effect cars and we're calling this the ground effect era. Um, I didn't even know it was called that. <laughs> Learn something every day. Inevitably, <laughs> what happens when we do these big rule changes is one team or two teams will go do a really good job. They'll get it right. And then, you know, some teams will really do a bad job of it. Um, but what happens is over time, they all tend to converge to mm. an optimum. Right. And there's obviously the principle of, of uh, diminishing returns or low-hanging fruit, if you this remember is- back to... First year economics. I was going to say, diminishing returns. Red Bull's like, they're now yeah. just optimizing, refining yeah, ahead of everyone else, where, whereas everyone else is still in that catch-up game. They are, but their rate of optimization will be slowing because everything gets harder y- and you harder. You mean like a plateauing? Yes, or? a plateauing. Yeah. Just yeah. always want to use that word. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of that plateauing and the teams coming together in terms of performance, uh, we do also have one tool. You mentioned the wind tunnel before we talked about that talked about how important they are for the performance of the cars. Um, and now there's um, relatively recently brought in, we have this sliding scale of wind tunnel time that's allowed for the teams. Yeah, yeah. So like the teams that are higher up in the championship, they get less wind tunnel time and that's, the ones that are lower get more wind tunnel time. So there's exactly always it. like a, do they want to come second or third? The wind tunnel's in there and like, you know, there's always that yeah. discussion. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know there was a big fight for second place in the Constructors Championship this year and I yes, couldn't help but think... between Mercedes and Ferrari. That's yeah. right. There's a lot of prize money in it, but in the back of my mind, I was also thinking, well, if you come third, it's not the end of the world because you get a little bit of extra wind tunnel time. So, yeah. so the big regulation change happened in 2022, the yep. ground effect era, <laughs> era, era, <laughs> you know, whatever. Ask Taylor. <laughs> Ask Taylor, yes. Uh, the next one is going to be 2026. Now, do you reckon some of the teams, I know Toto's kind of alluded to this or outright said it, hmm. you know, will they start 
will the team start focusing on the 2026 regulation changes and just starting to build that new car and really just, just riding off? On the, yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly, I think the FIA are actually trying to restrict that or they recently brought in some restrictions on how teams can how early teams can start focusing on like next year's car. But restrictions, really? really? Oh, yeah. Gosh, but, they really like regulate everything. <laughs> the thing is they were afraid that Red Bull being so far ahead will just stop focusing on their current cars and then just start focusing on the next Ah, oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Not just the teams giving up and yeah, going yeah. to the next step. Well, exactly. also that. You want you want the exciting racing to be now. Well, yeah. it's a really interesting question though and it takes me back to a, a really one of the significant stories in Formula 1, one of the really memorable Wait, wait. Te- is it is this story time? It is story time. Okay, okay, I need some snacks because, yeah. you know, yeah. Okay, I've had enough chocolate now. Sugar up. I'm ready for your story. You sound like you've got one hell of a story. You know, Formula One is so so full of all these stories that, you know, if Hollywood were to make a movie about it, you'd they roll your eyes. <laughs> you'd roll your eyes, right? At how many good stories there are? At how unbelievable it is, but... I mean, I still think about our tyre stories in that tyre episode. That was pretty big. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was epic. That's a that's a war. That's a tyre war movie you could make just on that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ford yeah. vs Ferrari, Michelin vs Bridgestone. <laughs> yeah. Um, for this one, I'm going to take us back to the final weekend of the month of March in 2009, the... It's amazing how you remember these details and then you forget, like, friends' birthdays. (laughs) This is one of, of, like, the most special weekends in my life, like, most memorable weekends for me, uh, because I was there. I was there to witness this um, with a a mutual friend of ours. Vids was there with me. Hi, Vids. Hey, Vids. We were in Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix, and we witnessed one of the great underdog stories in Formula One history. Oh, Dan. Um, and I guess I got to wind it back a few months before to, uh, um, even a year before. to. So wait, wait, if we made a movie, it would be like 2009, March, Melbourne. <laughs> you'd have the scene and you'd like get a little bit of context and then it would be like one year, three months prior. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it'll go into like the black and white mode. That's what I was going for, but like you yeah. ruined it by just like. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I always do this. I uh, explain the joke and ruin the joke. All right. So take take us back three months prior. Even more than three months, actually. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know really. Oh, know wait, much wait. About How far time. back are we going? I know, we don't sometime have all in two thousand eight. I don't really understand what was going on. Global financial crisis. Lehman Brothers, I don't know. And you know I was doing a finance degree at the time. You're, yeah, you can tell people. Actually, not. no one cares. Global, <laughs> global financial crisis, bunch of bankers in America goofed, and world economies went into meltdown. But Dasun was in his little F1 bubble going, what's, what's happening each race? Or? It was a huge for me because <laughs> the Formula One, the car manufacturers in Formula One were feeling the pinch and they started pulling out. Oh, so BMW I didn't even pulled know out. that impacted. Jeez. It was a huge impact on Formula One in, in many ways. And uh, one way that it impacted was about manufacturers pulling out. So BMW were one of the first to pull out. Um, this is pretty a sore point for me. But later, after this story takes place, Toyota ends up pulling out as well. Um, <gasps> oh, and no. it was, uh, it we was, are not sponsored in any way. <laughs> at the end of the day, it didn't make sense for them to, you know, to be not selling cars and then spending you know, hundreds and millions of dollars on, on the going show. racing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, 
So within that context, we're in 2008 and we've got the Honda Formula One team. Um, they hadn't been particularly successful at that stage. However, they had... So they had their own team. They had their own team. Uh, and they had brought across a technical director by the name of Ross Braun, who, if, you, if you're a long-time fan of Formula One, you'll know Ross's name. He was synonymous with Michael Schumacher and Ferrari's success. Right. right. He was technical director in those days. Um, and they did, made this decision. You asked a question about teams starting early on new regulations. And in 2009, Formula One was moving to a new aerodynamic regulation set. And right. They made the decision quite early in 2008 that, you know, they made a car for the 2008 season and then they just like forgot about it. Like, yeah, we're going to go racing with it, but forget improving it or whatever. Don't care about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're going to start on our 2009 car nice and early. And um, within the restrictions. (laughs) Well, these restrictions didn't exist back then. Oh, okay. Um, The FIA only brought them in like a month ago or something. Enter a young Japanese engineer from the Honda organization uh, by the name of Maisuki Minagawa. And he had this advantage of being English second language, right? He was a Japanese speaker natively. And as he was reading the regulations for 2009, he found a bit of a a peculiarity in how they were worded. And and he realized that, um, I won't get into the details of it, but he realized that they hadn't controlled the diffuser area as tightly as they had wanted to in the way they had worded it. And in actual fact, they could create this thing called a double diffuser, so they had the main diffuser and then on top of it, kind of like another diffuser what? section that would add a lot, potentially add a lot of performance to the car. Oh, my days. Uh, so <laughs> Double diffuser. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Honda went down the path of pursuing that development approach. Um, and then uh, we get towards the end of the year. The 2008 season's concluded in very dramatic style in Brazil. Um, and off the high off that... Wait, wait, wait. Is this the... The big... Uh, this is Lewis Hamilton winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's that other guy name? Yeah. <laughs> Felipe Vasquez yes. yeah. was the guy who was less fortunate in that. Um, around about that time, though, Honda had to make the very emotional and, and painful decision that they were going to withdraw from Formula One. And so they went to the Formula One team, the to Ross Broad and the like, and they said, look, we're out. We're, we're shutting up shop. Uh, you know, we can't keep running this team because of everything that's happening in the world. Um yes. And essentially, they were going to shut the team down. They're just going to switch the lights off, make everyone redundant, and that was going to be it. Um, and long story short, uh, Ross Braun, Nick Fry, and some of the other people in the team there, they fought really hard uh, with Honda's help and convinced Honda that, hey, rather than just shutting the lights off, which is going to cost you a lot of money uh, to do anyway, how about we look, and we look to try and sell the team to someone else? Right, okay. People came knocking, they were all a bit dodgy, and in the end, um, they decided, I'm not going to sell it to anyone else, we're going to sell it to Ross Braun himself. And Ross Braun famously bought an entire Formula One team for... How much How much does that uh, take out of your wallet? One pound. <laughs> one GBP. What? Yeah. Are you so, serious? I was yeah. making a joke. No, no. <laughs> I was so, like, how many hundreds of millions? It no. wasn't even. It wasn't even the wow. amount. Like I think it was sold to him for free, but like as like a symbolic gesture, he gave him one pound. Oh um, yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was two pounds. I don't know. Right. Um, and so yeah, he became. He took over the team, and then you fast forward a few more months to March, two thousand and nine. And you've got the Formula One teams all hitting the racetrack for the first time in testing in Barcelona. Back when Melbourne was the first race of the season. That's right. And yes. it's, it's rightful position. There's a couple of weeks before Melbourne. We're okay. in Spain doing in Barcelona doing the testing. Braun aren't even there. 
right? They're they're not prepared. They're they're still working on the car. They've had all this drama to deal with. The right. teams are out there. They're doing their lap times. And Braun are watching those lap times from the headquarters, and they're going, "We must have gotten something wrong in our in our simulations and our calculations, because according to what we're thinking, we're going to go about one and a half, two seconds faster than them <gasps> than the times that what? they're doing." Like that's huge. We've obviously made a mistake. Okay. Um, go double check the numbers. Yeah. Double check the numbers. We're still looking like we're two seconds faster. All right. Okay. Bit weird. Then there's a second test, and this time Braun actually bring the car. To, to that second test. And oh I remember... Gosh, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> we were, I remember where I was sitting when I was looking at the lap times, right? Yes. And um, we're looking at the lap times going, wow, this brawn is fast. <laughs> and the, te- the team was named Braun? Uh, well, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. yeah so they named it Braun GP. Uh, and the cars came out, they were pretty much white. They had a bit of yellow on them, no sponsorship. And they're running around and they're putting some fast lap times down. And then we all went, you know what they're doing. We know what they're doing. They're running the cars light. So you know, they're taking, not even low fuel, because back then it was so easy to make the cars really light. The engine's really light. Right. So you could easily make a car much lighter than the minimum weight. Oh, and for testing to, that was allowed. Yeah, there's no yeah. rules in testing. Right. Um, obviously, there's no benefit of doing it, except you can get some headlines and make some news and attract some sponsors. Ah, so, I see. That's dodgy. Well, no, it's just part of the game. And we all it's looked at each other. It's not part of the game. Don't hate the game. Yeah. Hate the, don't hate the players. Hate the game. Oh, I <laughs> we know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's dodgy. We all looked at each other. Like, oh, we know what they're doing. They're just trying to attract some sponsorship. Right, right. Um, but there were people saying, like, the car does look pretty good on the track. Like, it looks pretty hooked up. Uh, I remember some of the journalists saying that. Um, and then that's what takes us to that final weekend of March in 2009. Um, the Friday we were there we were for practice and practice one, FP one, FP two. I'm kidding. Uh, and we were actually there for it, and the cars are still looking fast. And we're thinking maybe this is maybe this is for real. Maybe these, yeah, these cars are actually fast. Like it. Yeah. Um, okay. And then come qualifying, uh, they lock out the front row. Wow. P1, P2. By how much? Um, I can't remember. I What I do remember is that P3 and P4 were the Toyotas, the guys that I was going oh, for. Oh, no. You were um, like Devo. Probably. No, this was huge for us. This was a, <laughs> yeah, Okay. Was Toyota car, was yeah. doing well. I yeah. was like, wow. But there was, this was such a dramatic weekend for so many reasons. The Toyotas got quali- uh, disqualified from qualifying, um, ended up coming back to finish third and fourth, I think it was. Lewis Hamilton finished third or fourth but then he got disqualified from the whole race afterwards it was lots of drama what this are weekend. all these disqualifications but okay. we were talking about it another time but the main story was braun gp uh the race started on sunday rubens barrichello he was one of the braun gp drivers jensen button was the other one i thought so i felt i feel like jensen's talked about braun yeah yeah on sky sports yeah. that's that makes sense yeah. jensen was on pole he got off to a great start rubens got off to a terrible start um, I think he like he got he made contact in the first corner, um, and then it was just you know seeing that car he he was coming back through the pack, um, but they had like terrible pit stops. Um, I'm watching the Toyotas; they got disqualified from qualifying. They're coming back through the pack. Oh, um, God, wow! Jeez. Towards the end of the race, we've got Jensen Button leading the race, Sebastian Vettel in the Red Bull second place, Robert Kubica in the in the was it a BMW I or a know, time? I actually know all these names. Yeah, third place. Um, hounding him down and uh, then Sebastian and Robert make contact. They crash all through turn three, four, I think it was five that, that Robert went in the fence. Um, And we're, we're at the fence 
trying to get onto the racetrack. We're trying to bust out onto the racetrack as soon as the race finishes, right? And so we don't really know what's happening. Uh, we know there's a safety car, and the, that last mo- that last lap, the the or the queue of cars came by. Jensen was in front, and and Rubens was second. Wow! And so they finished the race first and second, and I'll never forget. Like we were, we'd, we'd sprinted down the main straight to get to the podium. There's people climbing the fence wearing T-shirts that they've gotten permanent marker and drawn brawn on the back. Get on the brawn wagon. Oh, Because the team was so new. There was no merchandise. They oh, didn't, it's a brand right? new team. Yeah, they just bought they for one pound. For one pound, yeah. they literally just put sponsors on the car, like that weekend. Virgin wow. put some stickers on that's the car. That's an that amazing weekend. story. Um, for a team to come out like that, like it, that's that's pretty incredible. It was absolute scenes. Uh, and I never forget, like looking around, and everyone was just going crazy, climbing the fence. Um, were you I, one of those people wearing? Uh, I was wearing. Were my you Toyota, like, ah, screw Toyota? Uh, no, I was it. wearing my Toyota shirt, had my Toyota flag, and we were at the pit lane. And John Howard, who was the team principal of Toyota, walked past. And I, I was going to say the Prime Minister of Australia. That's but John okay. Howard with a D. <laughs> uh, and I was like, we did it, Mr. Howard. Because I was so happy. We finished third, right? Yes. Um, and he was just shocked that someone knew his name. Oh. <laughs> and he turned around and he gave me this big smile and a thumbs what? up. Oh. And, and the guy next to me was like, oh, good on you, mate. Kind of oh, thing. Because I was wearing died. all my Toyota stuff. Yeah. Uh, so great day for me. The Toyotas made a big comeback. And I think in the end, we were classified third and fourth. Um but the the big story and the, the reason why it's such a historic weekend was Braun GP. Braun. They went on to win that championship. Um, what? And 2009? 2009. Oh, that was Jensen's that only was championship, That was his sole right? driver's yeah. world title. Yeah. Um, and that double diffuser that they discovered all those months yes. ago had a yeah. big part. So Toyota and Williams, I believe, also had double diffusers at the start right. of the season. Um, but that head start that Braun had in developing their car uh, when, they, when they were Honda still from the Japanese engineer. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh, really, really benefited them. And it was, it was cool. I mean, towards the end, Red Bull started catching up. There's all this controversy through the year because the teams that didn't discover the double diffuser, they, um, they were trying to protest its legality and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it, I mean, we've seen a bit of that these days. Very well. typical. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to think we were all jumping on the fence and all that and yelling. And right when that was happening, you know, you had the bosses of Ferrari and Renault and Red Bull. They're all like conspiring with each other. Like, oh yeah, we've got to go protest this kind of right, thing. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Cadbury breakaway, better quality chocolate, more chocolate, more milky, bigger, not always better. Uh, Nestle Kit Kat, smaller sizes, uh, way more wafer, a bit lighter as well. It's just like a lighter chocolate. The benefit of having a good portable snack size finger thing you can break off, it outweighs the benefit of your slightly better chocolate quality. All right. Well, I think the size thing is an easy fix. Just got to write an email to Cadbury. Be like, can you like build, bring some like half size? Do you know how Cadbury operate? <laughs> yeah. 